they leaving? No, you know, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. They're nice. I like them. They're my people. They're your people. I have French heritage. I understand that. Wait, you don't think that guy who's got your beard is like your great-great-grandfather, I do don't you? know. We we lost track of some of them after the Napoleonic Wars. I'm just saying. Doesn't guys, this thing guys, have guys, a genetic guys, 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 guys. I'm learning how to make cheese. How cool is that? That's okay. Yeah, all I you, think it's great. All you need to use for cheesecloth is your underwear. I had no idea. Dude. This is amazing. See, Brian? I'm gonna, see? That's, I'm going to MacGyver some that's underwear wild. cheese. Yep. That's Brian, wild. Brian, <clears throat> come on. This is this is a perfect excuse to keep them around a little bit longer. Yeah, they're going to teach me how to make wine next. Dear God, with what? I don't know. He said something about using a musket, but I don't think it gets you very much. It's like a really tall shot glass. Anyway, look, they can stay. They can stay. It's my TARDIS. They can stay. I built it. They can stay. Hello. Hello. See? See? And they're friendly. Yeah, he's super yeah. cool. Uh, we, uh... Forgive me, my my English is serious. No, it, uh, I know Brian broke the translation. No, it's, it's, it's great. Okay. Keep going. We uh, uh, want to thanking you for letting us uh, staying here. See? Yeah. So we sweet. we cooking you a dinner. All right. Oh yes, I'm super hungry. What are we gonna have? Uh, it is a. Uh, um, uh, French dish. It is uh, uh, le, le chat de rotisserie. Sir? Wait. Roasted cat? Oui, oui. C'est bon? Get out. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I am not eating cat tonight. No. <laughs> I'm Eric Brickmont. Do you guys remember Rick that? Mo. Do you remember that the, those cans of sauces that was called Chicken Tonight? Yeah. And they had that that lame sales slogan, I feel like, like chicken, chicken tonight. tonight. Yeah. Like chicken tonight. You just made yeah. me think, I feel like not eating cat tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Too many syllables because it's yeah. quite follow the rhythm. I right, to- you know what? I totally remember the jingle. Do not remember the product. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it you was and your, a sauce you, and your you poured on you. chicken. That was all it was supposed to be. Yeah, no, okay. it was, it was I guess it was bad. gravy. I don't know. We tried Maybe. it once. But the thing is, I had just seen the episode of uh, Batman the Animated Series where they poured the clay down his face to turn him into clay face. Mm. And the sauce mm-hmm. looked like the clay they just shoved down his throat. So I was like, mmm. <laughs> Fun. I, Sean won't remember this, or maybe he does. I didn't finish dinner that night. I think I spent the rest of the night in my room because I couldn't finish dinner. Crying. Yeah. You, you did not have chicken that night. No, I did not. You did not. <laughs> um, I Happy say- New Year, everybody. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Happy New Year. Hey. Is, we already did the New Year. No, we didn't. We said it was post-Christmas, but we didn't say it was New Year's. Really? Yeah, we really. didn't. Have, oh, I guess Napoleon did come out in January, didn't it? Or December. Yep, mm-hmm. it was in that inter-period. Great. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy 2016. Yay. Yay. We survived. There was no catastrophes. Though, you know, there was that one little fire that happened in uh, Singapore, wasn't it? The uh, the fireworks went off and it set a fire to one of the building, <laughs> one of the buildings. Oh no, you're thinking of uh, Dubai. Oh Dubai, thank you, Dubai. That was not firework related. Oh, it was not. Oh, I think thanks. it was hot plate related. Well, or something to that effect. At, at when we're recording, there's a state of emergency in LA due to a gas leak. 
And that's been going for some time now, apparently. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Toxic and levels of gas. Natural gas. And yeah. theoretically, North Korea is testing nuclear bombs. Right. They detonated an H-bomb, which then turned out to be an atomic bomb, which then turned out to be a pipe bomb with some complete <laughs> uranium. But, but <clears throat> the Defense Department says they can't really substantiate those claims. Yeah. So. You know, hypothetically, that's really what's going on. But who knows? Yeah, who knows? North Korea has claimed they've tested a nuclear weapon like 10 times in the last decade. So I don't want to say I'll believe it when I see it because that would be horrible. Yeah. Nuclear explosion happening. Yeah. Um, But, you know. Anyhow, I will say something. I do want to address something in the cold open. Uh, Speaking of dictators. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say something about the cold open very quickly. Uh, We did mention the eating of cat. Uh, I thought it was a common French thing. It just turns out it happened to my grandpa once in southern France. Uh, it's actually more common in Switzerland to eat but cat. French was. is a language spoken yeah. in Switzerland. So it could be a shared tradition. So, yeah. yeah. I say it works. We don't know the backstory of these French characters. Maybe they, maybe one of them comes from Switzerland. You never it's know. It's true. It's true. Yeah. He had a mighty empire. Yes. They could have come from a lot of places. Yes. Wait, who are we talking about again? Uh, uh, Napoleon. Oh, that guy. Yeah. I love how we all had to go, ah, uh, for Napoleon a Dynamite, to be what specific. A, what a d- <laughs> Gosh. Not <laughs> actually Napoleon Dynamite, no. 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 That would be great if they cast <laughs> John Hader as Napoleon Dynamite playing Napoleon in a Napoleon movie. <laughs> I got this sweet empire. I got most of Western Europe. <laughs> it's like 70 million people under my control. It's awesome. And there's my La Matina. Uh. <laughs> uh, no, so we are finishing up our second part. We're doing the second part of our two-parter episode about Napoleon because there's a lot to be said about him. Yeah. So we had to stretch this shit out. Yes, we did. There and beep. I'm so happy because that's the first time you've bleeped in months. I've been doing all the bleeping for know. the group. I know. I, I just wow. got off vacation. Though we, we do have to <laughs> issue a small apology because Sean did let a bullshit slip last on the last episode I, are we done are we already used up just with our apology that, one, that that's that was a conciliatory bullshit so i think it's okay that's three so is no no so is that one but if I, anything after that will count toward the three mm-hmm. okay we're we leaving d- way to go eric we have one more left one more so i can't say Never mind. use it wisely use it wisely <laughs> all okay. right fine um, but yes, there is a lot of stuff to be said about Napoleon. And so where we left off, um, he had just didn't exactly conquer Egypt, but told a lot of people that he did, or at least that they had a very successful campaign in Egypt, right? They had, which yeah. was successful in some regards, but m- like militaristically and politically, it wasn't that awesome. From, from the standpoint of Egyptology and archaeology... It was hugely successful. It was, in many ways, the birth of uh, Egyptology as as a serious science as recognized by the Western world. And that's great. That's wonderful. Uh, but as a military campaign, it was a complete and utter failure. Uh, and let's face it, you know, Napoleon the General has a reputation to maintain and keep up. Mm-hmm. And he's lucky that he's also Napoleon the Propaganda Master, because that's exactly what he's able to do is take his failures home with him and turn them into monumental successes just by telling the right stories and by 
you know, publicizing himself just the right way. It makes me almost wonder if at any point he really just became, del- I mean, some, some people will argue he was delusional from the beginning, but as smart as he, and as calculating as he was, that doesn't sound like a guy who's prone to delusion other than just being a complete egomaniac. Well, he was a complete egomaniac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's not, that's not in question here. But when you have to spin all these exploits and, like, literally spin, you know, straw into gold, yeah. like, do you start to believe them at some point? Well, I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that at this point in Napoleon's life, and I think many Napoleon biographers would agree with this, that he did truly believe that it was his destiny to conquer the the world as he knew it to take as much of it under his con- direct control as power or, or as possible excuse me uh and his next steps i think pretty clearly oh, illustrate yeah. that because mm-hmm. 1799 to 1800 was a big year for napoleon big years plural Many years. years yes yeah. well i mean he basically came home from egypt to practically a parade in his honor if not literally a parade in his honor. And he used that opportunity of his his success, quote unquote, and popularity to befriend the right people. And specifically, um, his brother was sitting in, um, you know, what was the the French political council. And, you know, he basically made, made friends with a few high people in the in the political arena and used it to his advantage yeah who they themselves had already performed a coup to remove someone in power and now mm-hmm. were sitting in in power themselves but in a very fragile power yeah they were basically literally sitting in a council meeting and it was the council of 500 i think that was the lower house of legislation within yeah. the french parliament yeah. i believe yeah. yeah and so um they were sitting there having a rousing debate that Napoleon's brother started on purpose Mm -hmm. and it was supposed to go a certain way, but it wasn't quite working out. It was actually getting a little out of hand. Yeah. But Napoleon basically said, take my opportunity anyway, literally barged in with a bunch of soldiers and took over. Right. After they had first kind of heckled him and Mm -hmm. called him, you know, a nasty person and threatened to have him arrested as a criminal and what have you. And he comes back. Well, okay, well. I've got like, a few buddies. Like, like you can say that, but uh, Pierre here, it's Pierre, right? It's Pierre, 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 Pierre um, with the guy with the gun says maybe not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all the guns, all the guns. Yeah. Pierre. Oh, and there's Jacques over there. He's he also agrees with him, and he's also got a a gun. Um, I got like 50, 60 more of these guys, dude, <laughs> dude, dude. and a few hundred thousand willing to follow me. Yeah. So, do, yeah. do you do you, do you hear me now? Uh, so in other words, yeah, he becomes. First council. Mm-hmm. He seizes power and becomes the absolute ruler of France in effect. In effect, yeah. In, if not in name yet. Well, yeah, it's first consul, right? This yeah, is the- first consul. And the, the point is there was there was a republic at that time still. Yeah. Yeah. But he uses his opportunity as first consul to rewrite the constitution. Yes. Yeah, and basically get him elected for life. In 1802. But here's he co- the thing. He becomes a dictator. You know, yeah. Napoleon at this age is very young. He is very energetic. He's very popular. <clears throat> and not just with the public, but he is popular with certain members of the aristocracy and, and people within the Senate. And he can and and does effectively control the country. It's not as if a, the dictator comes on in and then is begrudgingly accepted as a ruler. He is paraded through the streets and, and people are happy that he's there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting time 
for France, but France was used to this kind of turmoil. France was used to governments being turned over within days, if not hours, and uh, it was not uncommon at this time in their history. Well, and I, if you look at the um, Constitution that Napoleon puts in and kind of the start of the Napoleonic Code, there were a lot of liberties that were given to people. Sure. And it was all done supposed to be, it was all supposedly done to be in the guise of a republic, of a democracy, of having freedom, of having all this stuff, except for the fact that you're ruled over by one dude. Right. Who gets to say everything. And he did this very specifically because he truly believed in liberties for people, but also believed that the smart people, the people who are extremely, you know, powerful and smart should be the ones who are ruling I mean, in the a world. way, yeah. <clears throat> in a way, he's just trying to recreate Rome. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, almost. Yeah. He's, he's almost there. He he hasn't quite aspired to that just yet. He will soon, though. Right. When he takes, because because Napoleon has always believed in the strength and might and power of the military. Right. Right. And, and that with that behind his back, he cannot lose but he has to continually be conquering and fighting and battling in order to keep himself in power sure i guess what i mean more is the society that he's trying to create sure in france right the idea that yeah. there is this pseudo republic because there was still a senate of course in rome even though there was an emperor just because there's this illusion of of uh of you know, citizens rights and of a somewhat of a, of a legislative project process well think about napoleon's youth right so he grows up during the revolution he's seeing all of this happen all the blood shed and turmoil uh all in the name of you know liberty and and democracy and freedom and it's you know the french revolution was handled very poorly which is why it did not succeed in the truest sense as you would expect it to right mm -hmm. and so i can understand him agreeing and and sympathizing and uh, holding those ideals as values of his own, but seeing that he has this powerful, you know, history with the military, he feels like that's really the only way to stay in control, to keep control in the country. And what better person for, you know, to do that than for him, the egomaniac that he was. Yeah. But you're right. The Napoleonic Code was huge. And as he would expand his influence in, across Europe, the Napoleonic Code would expand along with it and would be the introduction of democracy in, in many countries as a result. Forced upon them, of course, uh, but nonetheless, it still ended up there. Mm -hmm. and that has to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the metric system. And the metric system. And the he, metric also, system. He, also, he also did that, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and sweeping reforms of education, which he put into effect almost immediately uh, not only that but also became quite an impressive uh, builder uh, creating civil you know projects all around France and improving the quality of life uh, for a lot of folks he, he did a lot of good things I mean the economy turned around public services were introduced that weren't available before that mm -hmm. uh, he was a huge Didn't proponent he, he of culture established, like parks and things like that yeah. like city parks and stuff. Oh, so many benches yeah just so many benches <laughs> Um, but at his heart, of course, he was still General Napoleon, still a warrior, and he would continue that and was not at all done with France's old enemies, particularly Austria, which, which is funny because Austria is one reason he became, uh, the man he was and the man who was in power at this point. It was Austria who went back to war with France shortly before he became, uh, first council. And his absence in Egypt led to a series of disastrous battles 
that was embarrassing this now once successful French army under his command. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons why he left Egypt to return to France. Um, But by the time he had gotten there, things had settled down and the French army had started to hold its ground, but wasn't gaining any. So shortly after he takes power, he decides that it is time to uh, invade Austria with a large and powerful force uh, and does so by crossing the Alps and does so in only six days. Uh, which is which is not easy to do. I mean, the Alps are extremely difficult, even with you know the modern advancements in technology and roads and what have you. But back then, it was even more difficult. But this is where that famous painting of his crossing the Alps comes with mm-hmm. him on that bucking stallion, mm-hmm. and, where he's basically like popping a yeah, wheelie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. In reality, he crossed it on a mule. Yeah. <laughs> but whatevs. I I I've heard that before, but it never ceases to make me chuckle. Yeah, because you know, little captain, little little horse, <laughs> not even a horse, a mule. a mule. Well, everyone was on mules. In all fairness, yeah. I mean, they had their yeah. horses, but they weren't gonna they weren't gonna throw shoes in the Alps. The mules were much more effective. Mm-hmm. And uh, also in that painting, um, his uh, proportions are different, so it makes them look taller. Yeah, but he, we've we've established this. He wasn't short. He wasn't short, but he certainly looks godly. Yeah, and he also yeah. had a knack for having his soldiers be very very tall. So. He always looked short by comparison, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it it would be after he leaves the Alps, obviously, where he, he cements his power. And not just being able to take control of France, but also being able to bring the fight to Austria and to decimate uh, the Austrian army at Marengo, uh, which he, he does so uh, rather quickly and, and more or less puts Austria in its place for now, for the moment. Uh, allowing him to return back to France and back to Josephine uh, to deal, <laughs> to deal <laughs> with, with a few with other things. What's going on there? That little yeah. domestic skerfuffle there. Skerfuffle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, It's not even a kerfuffle. It's, it's, a, it's a skerfuffle. It's a scuffle and a kerfuffle. It's a skerfuffle. Um, there you go. So, I mean, as we kind of talked about last time, um, Josephine was a lot in it for herself when mm-hmm. it came to, to life. And she notoriously had a lot of affairs and specifically you know when um, napoleon was in italy she was keeping up with this other guy back home and uh and napoleon found out about it and he was none too pleased well well, not before yes so there was that and he wrote a letter but let's not forget that it was intercepted and published in an english newspaper and made it huge Scandal to make Napoleon look like he couldn't handle his marital yeah. affairs. Yeah. Like, also, get a handle on your wife, man. It's like, well, yeah, everyone else has handling her. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she was in it for herself, handle. and a lot of guys were into her. Yeah, you if go. you know what I mean. Well, you know, the thing is, he found he also found out about this in Egypt mm-hmm. from from a friend of his mm-hmm. who was serving with him, which further adds to his desire to return to France mm-hmm. and deal with stuff that's going on at home. Yeah. But the confrontation is what is uh, most interesting. Very interesting, yeah. So he basically goes home, confronts her, and says, you know, what are you doing? You're breaking my heart. You're tearing me apart. Anyway. <laughs> You're tearing me apart, Josephine! <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, hi, Austria. <laughs> and, she's, and she basically tells him off and says, no, I'm not going to stop doing this. I'm going to do exactly what I want, what I've been doing. Don't even care. And he just gets super livid and locks himself in his room. The room. <laughs> and I did not hit her. I did not. 
He locks himself in his room and kind of leaves her to think about what she's done in a way. And she thinks about it and she just all of a sudden makes a complete 180 and then it starts begging Napoleon to come out, to yeah. eat, to see her, to talk to her. Because I'm pretty sure this may have been the first time that somebody ever said no to her. Yeah. <laughs> In which case she was like, reverse psychology totally worked. Now I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was also absolutely furious and a lot more powerful than oh, yeah. when she had married him. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure some fear and intimidation was definitely present in this oh, and this I'm whole sure. ordeal went on all night i mean yeah. it wasn't until sunrise that they had they had come to terms with all of this and embraced each other and kissed each other and it was like nothing ever happened everything's perfectly fine totally and, normal relationship here ladies and gentlemen and basically where it wound up from there is that as far as we know josephine never had another affair yeah she actually stayed loyal to napoleon um until their divorce and that Which, uh, didn't stop uh, didn't little stop. Napoleon from some other conquests. Yeah, Napoleon, however, was was free to do what he wanted when he wanted. Yeah. Um, but you know how much he actually took liberties with that has been up for debate. But are we really surprised? I mean, this is a man who loves war, thinks he is the greatest thing to come to France. Of course, he's going to want to take other mistresses along the way. Well. It's not you know, really any, not any official mistresses per se, not yeah. anybody that he had like a regular reoccurring thing with, but people that he, you know, just Many biographers actually feel that he had a very mild sexual appetite, that Josephine really did occupy a very special place in his heart. And sure. he, he, he did fixate on her and continued to, even when he carried on with other women, not to justify that by any means, but the fact that he... He was almost doing it because it was expected of him, yeah. which is what he did a lot of his life. He did what was expected. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and that's really the point I'm trying to make. I may have been a little too lax by using the word mistress, but any kind of head of state at that point or man of power at that took point, a mistress, had a wife, and yeah. then saw girls on the side, whether right. it was a formal mistress or just a fling. You know, right? Hell, Kennedy was still doing it in the 1960s. So yeah, it was going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, anyhow. <laughs> uh, Brian, you, you might be interested in this, however, in 1801, Concordia makes Catholicism the uh, official, if, but not exclusive religion in France, yeah. which is a big turnaround towards the, the Catholic church than it had been experienced in years prior. Well, the church had, you know, we all know there was a period where the church had taken certain abuses of power. And in France, this was no exception. The what? cardinals and the archbishops. A good, good eight hundred yeah. year period or so. That's yeah. crazy talk. The the, the archbishops. Just a few years. Okay. The, the archbishops, the 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 uh, abbots, uh, anybody who had any small amount of power in the church and had land was kind of treated like nobility. You know, like the aristocracy that was that was present, and because of that being associated with the status quo, of course, when you get to the reign of terror and you get to the French Revolution, that you've, you're going to see this anti-Catholic sentiment or rather right. anti-establishment really is what it is really what it is. Maybe not so much about the teachings of the church, but more the, the church itself. And I mean, we talked about this. Um, we mentioned this briefly last time where there was a whole convent of Carmelite nuns who were all sent to the guillotine um that absolutely happened and this was and because of like this just reckless amount of 
you know, abuse of power is what finally turned the tide back a little bit. But yeah, the making Catholicism official in a quote unquote Republican era was a big deal, especially when the Napoleonic Code established a freedom of religion. Yeah. Too. And of course we're talking about the United States at this point too, an up and coming power. Not necessarily so much a world power, but an up and coming power. And their First Amendment, of course, right? That Congress shall make no law establishing a practice of a religion. So you're already having this idea. These ideas move around about mm-hmm. separating church and state. Yeah, and you know, Napoleon himself was not by any stretch of the imagination a religious man. No, in fact, he was more interested in the teachings of Muhammad than he was of Jesus. Yeah, so, he was. Yeah. But he was a keen politician and he realized that you know, restoring some of the popularity or restoring some of the power of the Catholic Church, albeit greatly, you know, decreased as it was in years pre- contained. prior. Contained. Yeah. yeah, contained. Exactly. That this would be a, a very smart political move, and yeah. it proved mm-hmm. to be. Either way, it made Pius VII, who was Pope at the time, pretty happy, I would say. Oh, yeah. Uh, jumping around. Yeah. <laughs> little red uh, slippers flapping all about. What interests me more, and we might be getting a little bit too ahead of ourselves, is the coronation. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. We're getting way, way ahead of ourselves. Ahead of ourselves. So <laughs> that's fine. So I will go back to the to what famously happened at the coronation later. But let's proceed. Not too much later. We're getting yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. We're I getting feel close. like I feel like before we jump ahead, we should, we should talk about the fact that there actually was a relatively peaceful time in these early eighteen hundreds oh, in yeah. Europe in around eighteen oh two, eighteen oh three. Um Well, after Austria pretty much surrendered yeah there was peace for the first time in 10 years yeah and more importantly um france was actually able to sign a a peace treaty with britain (laughs) i mean (laughs) sorry they signed it they sure did like and i'm sure and i'm sure they respected it for a minute um it was basically kind of um how should we say, relieving Britain of some of its colonies. <laughs> and uh, Britain actually was, you know, it left a few of them, but really held on to Malta, did not want to give up Malta Mm-mm. because they knew that it was going to be the future site of the Popeye movie. That's right. And they, <laughs> and they love malt uh, balls, malt balls. Malt balls, right. Yeah, they love them. <laughs> and, um, and malt liquor. I think you might be mixing it up though they did have a pension for sculptures of falcons for some reason (laughs) i don't get you know maybe they'll make a film noir about that someday Uh, (laughs) um, what's a film noir we'll talk about it later i like how we like the two things that we know about malta and a weird thing um (laughs) and and if you want to know about you know discarding feathers well there's also i mean there is also the order of the knights of malta which is a catholic order the maltese cross which is there's a real thing yes that's a real thing yeah Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so, I mean, I could go into that if you like. Yeah. To all of our Maltese listeners, yeah, <laughs> all maybe, one of you. Maybe we should do the history of Malta one day. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, as an apology episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, Britain, do you call them the Malts? No, you call them the Maltese. <laughs> the, the British did not want to leave Malta and that then started the fighting again. Yeah. <laughs> because the, you know, being able to have the peace between france and britain that that was a really dicey game at the time and it just wasn't going to happen this time around and um i mean honestly britain was having a grand old time making fun of napoleon on their side of the channel so they were basically you know doing their own version of pop propaganda um kind of condemning josephine condemning napoleon and you know 
they they are basically responsible for the characters of Napoleon being super teeny tiny. Yep. And all these other, uh, everything that I feel like Americans kind of know about Napoleon was from all carryover from from England. Because we're Anglophiles at heart, even though sure. we were angry with them yeah. for breaking off, you know. Yeah. Or, well, for... I mean, we're all angry with our parents when we leave the house exactly. and all that other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, we go and visit them in the retirement home. I mean, come right, on. right. So, um, I do think it's, it's interesting because definitely the anti-English sentiment, or so the anti-Napoleon sentiment, uh, came through in sea shanties too. Uh, there was they they used to call them bony in those mm. uh, sea shanties. Yep. Yeah. And that's actually, yeah, it was the thing. It was like, um, the bony man's going to get you. And yeah. which actually, theoretically, also translated over to the boogeyman's going to get you. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that contested before. But mm. I, I don't know. It sounds, if if not happening at around the same time as each other, it's a fun play on words. Yeah. Did the yeah. boogeyman go, hello, before, <laughs> hello. <laughs> before taking you? I'm just curious. <laughs> um, yeah, this was this was not an uncommon occurrence uh england declares war then france declares war and france declares war and then england declares war this happens a lot this has um, happened for the better part of a thousand years it's like you're really annoying on again off again like friends that just cannot seem to get out of that relationship as much as they try yeah oh yeah <laughs> uh however napoleon took this as an opportunity right peace is great but napoleon doesn't do well in peace times Napoleon has to have constant conflict as part of his uh, moving forward in life. Jeez, what a drama queen. Well, I mean, the guy was also a crazy workaholic. I mean, he would normally work 18-hour days. Yeah, he had to sleep four hours a night. Yeah, yeah, seven days a week. He would take meals, you know, that would last 20 minutes, whereas at the time it was not uncommon for people in his position and his power to take two or three hours to eat a single meal. And so the guy, you know, you have to commend him. He was, he was in charge and he was, and he was doing the work. Um, but he was not happy completely behind a desk where he wanted to be was, was out in the field with his men. Yeah. Uh, and I think we should therefore talk about his coronation because Emperor the, or excuse me, Napoleon the general, mm -hmm. um, needed to go under one final transformation. Right. And that was to Napoleon the This Emperor. is where he goes Emperor. Super Saiyan. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I mean, to talk about the parallels with Rome, I mean, the golden laurel wreaths around his head. Oh, sure. Obvious connection there. But then he's also got, you know, the, the famous, you know, French feathered cape, you know, that monarchs mm -hmm. across Europe would, uh, would wear. And most importantly, given that they had established it as a Catholic nation, we've already said this many times, that Catholic monarchs get validated when they are coronated by the Pope. Yeah. Right? So Pius VII, you know, accepts Napoleon's invitation to come to Paris and to, or is it, is it Paris or is it Orléans? I can't remember. I don't remember if he got, if it was, because Orléans was where all the French monarchs prior were. Well, he uh, was, he was coronated. crowned in Notre Dame. Thank you. So then it, was, so then it would have been Paris. Um, or Notre Dame, excuse me. Yeah. So Notre that's Dame already, is a football team. Right. Yeah. So that's already, a, right. <laughs> College. So that's already a shift, right? Because Orléans was where, the kings had been ordained or had been uh, coronated <coughs> for centuries prior to the revolution. So he's kind of doing this bridge of old to new, right? But what he does do that is very counter-traditional and very controversial, too, is literally the Pope is supposed to put the crown on your head. And that was the plan. It was written out <laughs> that that was the plan. But literally, 
Napoleon snatches the crown from the Pope's hands and places it on his head. He crowns himself emperor. We joked about it last time, but it literally happened that way. Literally happened. And then... Now, he also wanted to make sure, again, because <laughs> France would never be a monarchy again, quote unquote, he was the emperor of the French, not the emperor of France. Right. A very clever semantical argument that showed that he was still pro-France being a, air quotes, republic. Yeah. Don't forget that also when he um, put the crown on his own head, turned around, said, I'm emperor, he also then placed the crown on Josephine's head as well. Yes, he crowned Josephine his queen. Or mm-hmm. empress, I suppose, mm-hmm. at this point. He is uh, recorded as as writing later that he found the crown of France in the gutter, and I picked it up. That. And it's just such a powerful statement. Oh. It's just so classic he's Napoleon. Just, he's so... Word that might get bleeped. I can't say it. <laughs> we got one left. Go for it. Cocky. Can we say? Oh yeah, we can say. Oh, I was that. gonna say douchey. No, oh, no, I wasn't gonna say oh, that. Oh, great, Brian. I don't think now I, you use that. I one. don't think that gets bleeped. Does that get bleeped? I we'll, think so. I think we have to leave it up to the censors. All right, Sean. <laughs> you guys act like this is an actual thing that we have to be careful. Of. <laughs> I know. Isn't it fun though? <laughs> it's like standards and practices don't like. We don't have a standards and practices department. <laughs> We just don't want the explicit rating. That's all. It's we bleep it. It's fine. Bleep here, bleep I there. Know, but the everybody gets a bleep. The arbitrary number of three is just strangely compelling, Brian. Yep. Just let us go with it. Yep. We've been doing it for a year now. Can we just let it go? No. Um. I still want the opportunity to possibly be played for children. And if we have too many beeps, <laughs> it's not going to work. That's right. okay. Well, okay. It's a good argument. Well done. So moving along, because we really must move along. Uh, Napoleon not content to now be just emperor alone, has to have a real empire to rule over, a vast, large empire. But and not in America, because then he sold off, you know, yeah, the Louisiana, Louisiana. Tel- yeah. <laughs> Louisiana Territory. That's really far away anyway. Yeah, $15 million for a lot of land. There is a hilarious sketch where Napoleon and an American dignitary are like having a real estate arg- uh, agreement, like a, a discussion, and there's like a real estate agent in the middle and they said, you know, we can sell it to you for 15 million francs. It'd be dirt cheap. And she said, or you can conquer it for free. Trust me, his armies are all held up. You, they wouldn't be able to oppose you if you did. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> we had an agreement. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so Louisiana purchase aside, uh, Napoleon wants a crowning jewel Mm -hmm. to his empire and that of course is england Mm -hmm. if he could conquer england he would he would do what no other french monarch had done in a while Um, since since william the conqueror (laughs) basically since william the conqueror since 1066 yeah yeah he he could achieve something that in his lifetime would have been incredible absolutely incredible it i mean if anybody was going to put up a firm fight, it was going to be the British, the next yeah. most powerful navy. That's right. And army in the world. But here's the thing about France. Um, they kind of don't really do well on the ocean. Mm-mm. They had uh, a terrible navy at that point. Really bad. So he begins a program of 2,000 ships to be built, but doesn't want to just wait around for them to you know, come to fruition. He wants to get his armies out there moving, fighting, gaining experience, and conquering the rest of Europe, essentially. And so the Grand Armée, right? La Grande Armée, it's huge, it's enormous, it's powerful. It's full of seasoned 
brave, loyal soldiers who are loyal only to what they still see as their Napoleon, the general, not Napoleon the emperor. Because he never changed how he dressed. He still dressed like a soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Like one who was poorly dressed. Yeah. He, like one who would did it in the dark. Yeah. And these people he loved him for it. Dressed like him, talked like them, stood around with his hand in his coat just like they did. Yeah. He yeah. took a common pose for the time mm -hmm. and made it something legendary. He made it into Napoleon. It's into interesting because he's got, as egomaniacal as it is, he has so much charisma about him too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what made a, him so dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Um, And many, you know, that's a common trait among many dictators throughout history is that is that charismatic attitude how, how else can you get away with it for so long you know um but he he begins his next big campaign by storming into austria with two hundred thousand men um and it took him uh only about 40 days or so because he was marching these guys uh like crazy we talked about this in the previous episode that he was very skilled at getting people to do things that the human body just doesn't know how to do like he, he can keep people marching on minimal food and minimal sleep and yet they're still in prime fighting condition it's absolutely incredible the human will to do things like that uh, never ceases to to amaze me um and again he maintains this this really impressive um persona by doing some crazy stuff like he he will go out and pull out a whole regiment of men and, and he'll ask their commanding officer, who is the bravest among these men? This is a, one example of something he did once. And the commanding officer points to some guy. And he walks up to him and pulls the Legion of Honor off of his coat and pins it on the man. You know, stuff like that is is mm -hmm. polarizing. And then, of course, he takes his newspapers and writes all about it and spreads it all around the military. So everybody you know, reads it. But um, his, his time in Austria was... Uh, almost like a, like a lightning strike. I mean, he comes on in and he surprises them. I mean, he actually takes them and 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 decimates them, and they're completely shocked, uh, eliminating essentially half their army in just a few small encounters. And then shortly after taking Vienna, uh, causing their own emperor to flee. But while he has a lot of success here in in 1805 at this point, uh, he does not have nearly as much success at uh, Trafalgar. Mm -hmm. Things go really badly at Trafalgar. And despite the fact that Lord Nelson, uh, the you know, commander of the of the of the British Navy, is killed in this fight. Yeah. Let's not forget this is Horatio Horatio Nelson, Nelson. Horatio Hornblower Nelson. That's right. Yes. Just want to make sure we're making it, you know, giving him his due. That's right. He uh he's killed. Uh that is true, but he ends up, you know, essentially destroying the French fleet. Uh, and any chance of France ever really recovering its navy during Napoleon's reign. Just just wasn't going to happen at this point. So now Napoleon really does have to rely on his land battles to to keep things moving. And at this point, is this when he starts to go into Spain? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Uh, he hasn't made it to Austerlitz yet. Okay. Uh, it was the Battle of Austerlitz that really changed things up. Uh, because both Russia and Austria were now joint armies working together to fight back uh, Napoleon. And they also had an Russia had an alliance with with Britain too. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and soon Prussia would be involved. 
So there was many coalitions, actually. There, there would be, I think, six or seven during his, his time that would be uh, formed to try to topple Napoleon specifically, which is, which is nuts. Um, but uh, Napoleon, when he enters into the Battle of Austerlitz, is at a disadvantage. He's outnumbered two to one. And uh, he decides that he is going to try to play a little bit of a trick and ends up convincing the opposing army that he's actually at a much greater disadvantage by intentionally exposing his right flank. And by doing so, he he convinces uh, he convinces the armies that obviously that's the best place to attack. So Napoleon, who's not known for making these tactical mistakes, they're kind of hoping that this is their one chance to really take him out. And if they can, they're not going to have to worry about him or France uh, any longer. What they didn't know is that he had done this intentionally with reinforcements being brought up in secret from Vienna uh, to support that right flank. So he was really more or less pulling them into a trap and in turn exposes the enemy and makes them vulnerable and then is able to take advantage of that. Um, and under the cover of a really dense fog, uh, the French advance on on russia on the russian troops on the czar himself who was there overseeing the battle alexander uh and the battle of the monarchs (laughs) pretty much well because Uh, alexander wanted to prove himself too as a as a leader and so he was like i'm gonna ride out and be in this and then after that he's like oh never mind (laughs) king of austria is there everyone's there it's a big party i just got the image of this giant sword fight happening between these two it's obviously not didn't happen but not at all but they ended up taking... Um, it was a slap fight. <laughs> it's a slap <laughs> fight with gloves. They just slapped each other with their gloves. <laughs> well, they ended up taking the their their center, and essentially the French were in control of the battlefield from that point forward. And everything just fell apart. And he, had, he managed to beat both the Russians and Austrians in a single decisive battle. A battle he should have never, by any rights, won. And that's crazy. And that's it just is Napoleon. Totally crazy. That's just Napoleon. And that all just feeds into him saying, "It is my star. It is my destiny." Yeah. It, it, let's face it. He was a brilliant tactician. Mm-hmm. He was an amazing general. He was not a god on earth, despite what he believed. But yeah, this definitely brought that uh, firmly into place in his mind. If it hadn't, all, which clearly had already been before. Mm-hmm. And this was this was big. Uh, the Russians retreated, and the Austrians surrendered. And uh, this is a man who truly loved the challenge of war. I mean, this this was one of his, in his own words, one of his crowning achievements, one of his greatest moments in life um, was, was what he, he did there, which is crazy, super crazy. Prussia also challenges his power and is quickly eliminated. Uh, and he ended up killing two, or sorry, 25,000 Prussian soldiers and taking 140,000 of them prisoner in just a matter of weeks. Wow. And uh, he begins to, at this point, you know, impose his French civil code across um, what is now 70 million people that he has managed to to control and and take over in Europe. Yeah, and he was he was even playing nice and schmoozing up with Alexander. That's right. That he had just fought, but they were kind of acting all buddy buddy, and you know. Posing for the non-existent camera at the time. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you got to remember that there was a period where they continued to fight, even though the rest of Europe was pretty much under his control. Um, but by 1807 and the the Battle of Friedland, which ended in pretty much a stalemate. It was one of the times that Napoleon really wasn't bested per se, but he didn't feel like continuing the fight. 
Uh, and it was a nasty fight when it was just between the Russians and the French. A lot of Russian territory was burned to the ground, lots of civilian deaths, lots of destruction of property. And the French army was, you know, not being quite as fully successful as it had been before. So it was taking a lot of really bloody hits. And the decision was made by both of them that they were not going to ask for an exchange in territory, which was super unusual for Napoleon. But instead, they just wanted to stop the fighting. And that's when you find this kind of camaraderie now being found between Alexander and, and Napoleon. They kind of pose, like you said, for the camera, right? Mm-hmm. They, they go out into the field and they start pinning awards on soldiers on both sides. And they do it together. And then they, they go on like a carnival ride, right? And they go up and, <laughs> and they buy each other like uh, cotton, cotton candy. candy. And, they, yeah. Yeah, and, then, and Napoleon wins Alexander a toy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Alexander walks with a great big teddy bear. Um, <laughs> it's really cute. Well, and, and Alexander, <laughs> you know, legitimately seemed like he was learning from Napoleon. He admired the man. Yeah. In his own words, he said he admired the man. And it led Napoleon into a very rare false sense of security. Yep. Because this relationship would not continue to be a beneficial one for... And then they went on the tilt award. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Napoleon threw up everywhere. It was awful. (laughs) Um, And this this is kind of the beginning of Napoleon's downfall. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people will attribute his later Russian campaign uh, to being the beginning of the end. But the truth is it was really in Spain. Oh, Spain. Spain, oh, Spain, Spain. Napoleon really wanted to um, flex his muscles in Spain because at that point nobody was really going to Spain. Um, they were kind of standing on their own. They weren't really allied with anybody. For it- a second I was just thinking, so he wanted to boost tourism (laughs) (laughs) yes you know the problem of barcelona (laughs) there's more statues damn it right right well so he wanted to he really wanted to go ahead and just add that to add that to the collection of people in his empire um and they thought oh it's spain this will be easy it was not easy um (laughs) in fact it was Really, really, it was kind of a disaster. <laughs> yeah, I, I will state that, you know, Spain, they, they had an excuse, though. Spain was a trade partner with England. Mm-hmm. And because England had effectively blockaded France now that its ar- its navy had been destroyed and prevented trade from happening on that side of the French coast, uh, it made sense that they wanted to punish anybody who was doing any kind of... sure you know, relationship at, at all with, with the British. Yeah. And that was their excuse. Yeah. But I mean, really the biggest thing that as Napoleon goes in there, he finds that Spanish soldiers be cray cray. Oh yes. <laughs> Cause I mean, they overwhelmed the Spanish military very easily. Yeah. Oh, they will. They outnumbered them. Tremendously. Tremendously. Uh, at this point, Napoleon's got an army that's almost 600,000 strong. He doesn't bring them all into Spain, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's an enormous, I mean, even by today's standards, that's a huge That's army. a huge, yeah. <laughs> huge But number, whereas, yeah. you know, yes, Napoleon broke a lot of the rules of warfare that people expected, Spain was breaking even more rules. Yeah. And were really coming at them out of nowhere and were extremely relentless, despite dwindling numbers. Yeah, I mean, this was a five or six year guerrilla war that was going on. Mm-hmm. And there was no way to contain that or control that. And Spain yeah. is a very hilly and kind of mountainous country. It's got a lot of 
places for gorillas to do what they do best. Mm-hmm. It might even have reminded them of Corsica. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but it was definitely um, a quagmire. Yeah, and and a, absolutely brutal on on the battlefield. People were were torturing each other. Were being kind of awful um, yeah. and desecrating bodies and things like that on both sides. Yeah, it was not not a pleasant yeah. time. Yeah. And while all this is going on, uh, another kind of quagmire for someone in his personal life had had de- de- you know developed essentially, and that was the downfall of Josephine, mm-hmm. because Napoleon the Emperor now needed to maintain the appearance of an emperor. And what do emperors do? Well, they have children who succeed them, and he needed a little Napoleon to do exactly that. A uh, different little Napoleon than was referenced earlier, and. <laughs> He um he decides that the only thing he can do with a Josephine who at this point in her in her life and at her age is not going to successfully bear him a child because she was older than him anyway. Yeah, yeah. It, it was she was um oh god how old she was she had been in this time she had to have been in her late forties. Yeah. Um she uh she is divorced. By she already Napoleon. had kids. Yeah. With her previous yeah with her yeah. prior husband yeah. But she um. She's divorced, mm-hmm. and you think this is kind of like a Henry VIII kind of situation, right? But he, he didn't treat her as badly as Henry treated Catherine. No, in fact, he had Joanna Josephine's daughters marry his brother, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and and she she lived a very comfortable remainder of her life. You know, she was given anything she wanted, essentially, except for Napoleon. Mm-hmm. And many people say that it was very difficult for him to do. Not approving of it in any means, totally a dick move, but, you know, that's that's the way it was yeah. in, in this situation. And he ends up marrying the Duchess Marie-Louis from um, Austria, mm-hmm. who does bear him a child rather quickly afterwards. And interestingly enough, then ends up marrying a Habsburg. So he's totally completed his his goal to become royalty in Europe. Yep. Um, but he's starting to get tired and he's starting to make mistakes. And he ends up taking his fight back to Russia in 1812, um, who has once again now decided, Russia that is, has once again decided it will begin trade with England in defiance of Napoleon. The relationship with Alexander breaks down. And um, that's where it all goes to hell. Uh he has this massive army, like I said. At this point, it was over 600 or near 600,000 strong. It was absolutely massive. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he, he, he cannot succeed in Russia. Invading armies do not succeed in Russia. Hitler would make this mistake over 100 years later. Yep. Start a summer campaign, outfit his soldiers for a summer cam- campaign, not thinking that it's going to take as long as it does it takes a really long time and the weather changes quickly and gets cold very fast and not only that but this winter would be one of the worst winters on record in russia and what also makes matters worse is that he had made their buttons and their uniforms out of tin and tin it got so cold that the tin actually shattered so you have guys who are in freezing cold weather in Uniforms that are not meant for that climate, number one. And their jackets two. are just open like it's spring and they just don't care about the rain anymore. Right, exactly. They I can't mean, keep Speedos their... just seem really improper in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, let's not talk about Russian Speedos. <laughs> <laughs> or French Speedos. Let's not talk about Speedos at all. Um, Darn. The other problem was that the Russians were not terribly interested in fighting him. They were just interested in wearing his army down. Most of his army ends up dying, not from battle, but from illness and starvation. In fact, 150,000 of his men, his men, Napoleon's men, deserted him over the summer. This was not the warfare that they had been used to. This is not the leadership they had been accustomed to. This was a whole different kind of war. And he would fall upon Moscow, but it would, uh, it would not go as he wanted it to. The two armies would come to a head and faced off at the village of Borodino, and the battle was absolutely brutal. I mean, it was a wild and kind of desperate attack by both armies. And Napoleon lacked his usual cunning and strategic brilliance that had been seen before and instead was just throwing wave after wave after wave of men into oncoming fire and cannon. And it was absolutely devastating. And even though the Russian forces had fled, it was it was horrendous. It was absolutely brutal. And Moscow, this crown jewel they had been fighting so hard for, was burned by the Russians rather than giving it up to Napoleon. Wow. And for Napoleon, that may have been the, the worst thing that could have happened to him. Napoleon's psychological warfare was far more damaging to him than being in the face of, of bullets and, and bayonets and sabers and cavalry. That he could handle. Cannons, loved him. No problem. But being deprived of something that he can turn into a, put a political swing on it, he's done. And winter comes really early, a really bad winter. And his soldiers are cold and, and they're suffering horribly. And they decide that they have to retreat at this point. They, they cannot survive in the burned out remains of Moscow. Uh, and as they are retreating, they're continually being attacked. Again and again and again and again. And I know we made light of this in the cold open, right? But Or that was Waterloo, but whatever. I mean, nonetheless, the soldiers were in a pretty crap situation at this point. Out of 600,000, how many do you think came back? Not a lot. That's correct. I was looking for a more specific number, but yes. I don't know the number off the top of my head. Under 100,000? 93,000. Yeah. Ugh. That's a lot. And that's... Of course, that's one quarter of the army that had abandoned him. Who knows how many of them survived. But the other 300,000 pretty much died. Yeah, including a whole lot of my family members. My my family, the Brickmont family, was actually much larger before the Napoleonic Wars. Many of them were, were in the military and uh, were wiped out, particularly in, in Russia. Wow. Yeah. I don't hold it against him. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> Uh, Napoleon was also in retreat, obviously, and he carried with him a small capsule of poison. Oh, yes. Thank you. I'm glad you were going to bring this up. He had it on his, his neck for over a decade. Yeah. And in, in fear of being captured. Yeah. Uh, Napoleon would not be humiliated. He would die at his own hand and then be humiliated by the, by the enemy. Um, and rumors of a coup back home actually forced him to completely abandon his troops and, and run tail back. Uh, because uh, Britain, Prussia, Russia, and now Sweden would all 
take this opportunity to align against him. And at this point, he was absolutely hopelessly outnumbered. So by 1813, the Battle of Leipzig, which lasted three days, uh, he, he was defeated. And, you know, over the next two months, he would lose an additional half a million men in a desperate attempt just to keep his throne. Half a million men. So at this point, if you include the Russian campaign and you include his retreat, you're looking at nearly a million men dead. And that's pr- almost in pretty much what Brit- Britain and America suffered in casualties in World War II. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's despicable. Uh, but it's Napoleon. You know, again, I'm not making an excuse for him. I'm just saying that this this is it's history that we can't do anything about that now. But yeah, it's pretty awful that he would put his own interests above that of a million of his men, men who were loyal to him, yeah, who fought for him. Um, I know I'm rambling on a bit, but I just I feel passionate about it. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, Paris is then invaded. His generals abandon him. He's renounced as the ruler of France, and he, he tries, tries to, to kill, kill himself. himself. Hey. hey. Jeez. Suicide jinx. Um, uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. What are the rules here? <laughs> you got to buy me a Coke. Um, is it strictly a Coke or does it have other stuff added? No, Coke. you got me. There's arsenic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he drinks it and it turns out it had expired. Yeah, it was <laughs> the knew? poison was no longer toxic. So he just got really, really sick. Had a cup of tea and had a good night's sleep, and he was fine the next when, morning. Whenever I buy poison, I always turn the bottle over to, to see the Best Buy date. <laughs> <laughs> always. Or is that formula? I can't remember. Anyway. So, yeah. He he um, he fails to kill himself and survives. And it could have been a lot worse. I mean, Napoleon uh, could have, you know, poisoned himself a little bit more and still survived and been horribly ill and stricken until he died. He could have been very publicly humiliated by the victors, but they didn't want to risk turning him into a martyr is what it ultimately came down to. He was still too popular. Uh, So instead he is sent into exile and he's sent into exile in Elba Mm -hmm. uh, where he's given the mocking title of emperor of Elba, which is a teeny tiny little Island. That's mostly made of rock. Like there's not, that much greenery it's just well alba's not too bad it's there's it's, bad. It, it's it's not nearly as nasty a place as saint helena oh no saint helena was way worse but alba was not awesome no it wasn't that great um but he is essentially given free reign and what does napoleon do well he conquers this tiny little island of thirteen thousand peasants um who seem to think he's kind of cool and he begins to reform the island and he sets up a throne room, and he's got his own little court that he assembles. Um, yes, he just it's like a, will not stop. No, it's, it's yeah. like a boy who has been taking away his toy soldiers, and then you find them like carving him out of wood or something. Just he's like desperate to hang on to his greatness mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, but he still took the opportunity to you know be in retirement, right? So he go horseback riding and you know work in the garden and played chess and stuff like that. Seriously. I mean, these are the things that he did when he didn't have a lot of time. You know, he formed a boy band. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a barbershop quartet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't very successful. No, it was not. No. It was called Napoleon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> you brought up chess and I keep, we, we can't believe we didn't talk about the famous uh, incident with the Turk, with the, uh, the chess machine. But I heard that was 
not real. No, it wasn't. Was it was a up. guy. It was a guy inside the machine who was using retracted mirrors. But nevertheless, he didn't know that, and it still couldn't stop him. I think Napoleon was suspicious, and he played these different moves to throw it off. I thought the whole thing was a myth. No, it happened. Oh, it did happen. It did happen. What was the myth was that he didn't know that there was a man inside of the machine. Um, For another episode. Wheel of History. We'll leave that for the Wheel of History. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like the Wheel of History would do. Yeah. But one thing that did hit him particularly hard in exile was the death of Josephine. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that was very difficult for him despite the fact and we, we kind of brushed over this but obviously his his bride and his young child you know who were austrian in nationality were pretty much just swooped back up by her daddy and taken home mm-hmm. uh and he um he 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 missed them i have no doubt terribly but it was josephine where his heart was still and uh and that was very very hard for him he almost appeared catatonic at times and took to having a very secluded kind of demeanor for some for for a good while Mm -hmm. but after 10 months on alba he decides that he just can't take retirement any longer he's a lot like my dad (laughs) my dad didn't do well with retirement he's semi-retired your dad has his own throne room he does it's called the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) hi oh hi oh um instead though he does attempt to return the power uh return to power yes not the power the power was not on Alba. I don't know where, where was it. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to get back his crown, and so yes. what he did was he hopped off Alba because apparently there was still a boat there. Yep. <laughs> so well, they had to. You I know. know bring obviously, him supplies. Yeah. yeah, obviously, but you know, so he's like, "Great, my boat," and he hops back over, <laughs> goes to France, and on his way into France. He kind of starts picking up people left and right, kind of being like, hey, remember me? We're going to take over again. Come on, guys. And he kind of gets like a little rag. Come on, guys. I can still put my hand in my little pocket. Yeah. There we go. Were like this- you the guy we saw in the streets all those years ago? Yes, it was. It was, <laughs> it was a clever disguise. Yes, he's like, he basically kind of gets his own little ragtag army. And st- Not little. I mean, it was yeah. pretty sizable. Yeah, and like storms into Paris and is like, Get back surprise. Blue yeah. <laughs> of the 18th is like, oh, crap. <laughs> 10 months that's all i get god right. damn it and then he leaves yeah right. those are his exact words <laughs> quote quote um, rough translation <laughs> yeah but uh this wouldn't last very long uh, another coalition mm-hmm. was brought together to put an end to napoleon this time for good and this time of course at the very famous waterloo where he would go up against uh the duke of wellington and the prussian general blunker who were sent to, to finally stop him. And Napoleon wasn't hesitant to get back into the thing, back into the fold of things. He wanted to get back into the fight. Uh, but his old kind of resolve and gusto that he was so famous for simply did him no good. Um, and he ended up actually delaying the outset of the Battle of Waterloo until 11 a.m., which was a huge tactical mistake. It had been very wet on the battlefield before that. And he was afraid of getting cannons stuck uh, in the mud. And you can't, you know, effectively shoot off cannons if you're, if you're stuck in the, in the wet mud. So he had to wait essentially until the, 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 the ground, you know, dried out. When do we attack your majesty? Wait until the 11, 11, 15 ish, maybe perhaps we, that's what we've had that cafe. Um, you know, <laughs> it is much drier after 11. I know this. I live on Alba. Anyway. Uh, um, that makes no sense. Uh, 
Napoleon, however, I honestly think, I think Napoleon could have won the Battle of Waterloo. I just don't think that he believed he really could. I don't think he had it in his heart anymore. I think he was just too tired. I think he had this great idea, but it, just, it ultimately just did not work. It's kind of like like when they tried to do Joey. Have <laughs> <laughs> your friends? Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Like Matt LeBlanc was great as Joey for all nine seasons of Friends. He was great. This is for David McGuire, by the way. This, sure. this is specifically ten, for Dave. Ten seasons. Ten seasons. Whatever. You, but you can't lead a show with a Joey. Yeah. But that's the thing, though, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and Matt LeBlanc knew it. But if Matt LeBlanc believed that he could be Joey, that show would still be on. But Matt LeBlanc has episodes, at least. And Napoleon got death. No, no. This is totally his episode. This is this is the first two seasons of Joey is Waterloo. No, no, no. no. He's on a show on Showtime called Episodes. episodes. Oh, is he? Yeah. yeah Matt oh. LeBlanc had his second... No. He had his second career. He had his heyday. Napoleon it sounds a lot like Saint Helena to me, but anyway. Napoleon died decrepit in his bed. I just want to like make sure that's <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see about Matt. Anyhow, um, but okay. <laughs> honestly, I think Napoleon Napoleon's plan was essentially to attack attack Wellington and be relentless at it and take him out and then take out um, Blucher. And it was actually a pretty decent plan. It would have worked really well, but Wellington was not going to let this up. He he had some serious beef with Napoleon. <laughs> oh, really? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really? I've and been waiting three weeks. I have some beef tenderloin with Napoleon. <laughs> In case you didn't get that, that was a beef Wellington joke. <laughs> Thank you. I have beef tenderloin wrapped in flaky, flaky pastry. <laughs> pastry. With... <laughs> Pillsbury crescent rolls. All of, our, all of our serious, like, Napoleon enthusiasts are hating me right now. I We're know. just making fun of the Battle of Waterloo. I'm sorry, but... Um, <laughs> the truth is that, that Wellington held fast and counterattacked and continued to counterattack and counterattack and wasn't going to give up the ridge. He was going to keep it. And that's exactly what he ended up doing. And Napoleon just keeps on going. He's just like hoping for a miracle. Come on, this is going to work. This worked in the past. It'll work again. And it totally does not. Um, in fact, the, the, the British, they begin to kind of fall apart a little bit. And, and they start to, to consider falling back um, until Prussian reinforcements arrive at the very last minute. And it's, it's like Austerwitz, but like backwards. It's kind of weird. It's a weird turn of events for him. Um, and this takes Napoleon by surprise. And he and, and even the Royal Guard, who were fanatically devoted to Napoleon... They were, you know, not to necessarily compare them in action, but in devotion. They were like the SS was to Hitler. This is how they were to Napoleon, right? And 12 hours later, Napoleon had had fleed the battle and escaped, only to be uh, captured on June 22nd and essentially resigns once more. And uh, then we go to St. Helena, which is the closest thing that you can get to hell. Yeah. The Pretty El much. Elba was not so hot. St. Helena was way worse. He should have just stayed on Elba. He would have had a great time. I would have caught a boat. You know what I would have done if I was Napoleon? I want to I want to pause for not pause, but I want to talk about this for a moment. How interesting would it have been if Napoleon not you know making it off the island had instead jumped a ship and gone to America? Hmm. What would Napoleon have been like in a young America? 
in what sense? As a military well, he, leader? Well, he, no, a... he has no opposition, right? I mean, America was very young. They had just... Fought off the British. Again. Yeah, just fought off the British in 1812. They Their their navy was therefore heavily uh, depleted. Uh, the land army was also not all that interested in, in doing much. Uh, I wonder if he had come on into America, if he would have been able to polarize a few people. You know, America owed a lot of its success in the Revolutionary War to the French. And there was a lot of French sympathy. It makes you wonder, would him Napoleon found a home there? And if he did, what kind of home would he have found? That is an interesting thought. I like I like the idea However. of, like, Napoleon kind of trying to, at first, you know, go with the Manifest Destiny thing right out west and then actually just become an outlaw. <laughs> How cool that he would have been like... Uh, <laughs> I think if you're talking in the unconquered territories and the other colonies, that might be possible. But, I mean, on the eastern seaboard, like they're like, look, we know you, you're you French and everything, but you also want to be a monarch. And we just got done with that. We're really not a fan of that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he would have done, like, with a monarchy, if anything. I think he probably would have had, like, a... I, in my head, I like to think of the alternate universe version would be Napoleon the bank robbing outlaw with a gang of his he would, have, guys. he would have amended the constitution to waive the whole natural born citizen <laughs> rule and run for president. <laughs> I, think, I think he would have moved to Louisiana and opened the first French restaurant. Oh, okay. The first, fr- there probably I'm pretty were sure there were French restaurants French, there by then. Okay. Populations well, there. Yeah. Louisiana purchase wasn't too early before this, so there must not have been that many restaurants. Anyway, just saying. There were still um, French people there before. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I don't know. I think it would have been interesting. Okay. Just just, just throwing it out there just to get Nepo- it. You know, like wondering. he has a beignet cart. That's what he has. <laughs> a beignet cart. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how old he would have been in 1860. Because can you imagine if the Confederates, if he'd stayed in Louisiana oh, and the God. Confederates had him on their side? The French did recognize the Confederate States I know. as a separate I nation. I know they did. So my Wouldn't God. that have been crazy? Nine, like 95-year-old Napoleon Bonaparte. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And General E. Lee together. That's insane. Would you like a beignet? (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to... I've tried to rename some Josephine. It's not as popular. But (laughs) would you like a Josephine? Every man has had one. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, snap. Well done, sir. Well done. Um, But so, yeah, he basically, once he gets to... Helena. Helena and his last... His last exile. Yeah. Um... This really is the last, and he kind of yeah. he kind of wastes away at this point. He he has his family with him, right? His didn't his mom come with him for a little, or was that at Elba? His I, mom was with him. I for, don't think he had any family at this point. Okay, I don't believe so. I don't remember. Yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah, and and he basically just kind of he well, I know he wrote his biography. Oh yeah, yeah, um, that's all he had to do. Yeah, you have to remember his mom, while she was proud of him, was not pleased with the idea of him becoming a monarch either. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, they had supported a democratic revolutionary back on Corsica. So yeah. the idea of him becoming this totalitarian leader was not... She was not crazy about that idea. No, but she was also totally okay with living in luxury. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know. Well, it's the family of hypocrisy. I mean, that's yeah. what yeah. these guys are anyhow. Yeah. So he ends up writing his biography, yeah. um, which is um, debatable in truth, because he never stopped being a propaganda master. Sure. Um, and so... A lot of the stories in his biography were, you know, kind of disproven as time went on and history really came forth. Um, and as he became older and not that old, like in his 40s, right? Well, he was 46 years old when he was sent into exile in yeah. Helena. And uh, he would die at 51. Yeah. 
so he, he didn't have a long life there. Yeah, so he stayed for a little bit, and as he was passing away on his deathbed, um, one of the things that he was reported to have said on his deathbed was Josephine. Yeah. How heartbreaking is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's not surprising to me that for someone whose entire existence relies on constant movement, constant action, and constant battle, who is forced to live on an island that is 10 by 6 miles long, mm-hmm. that is constantly racked with horrid weather, always foggy, mm-hmm. always raining, always you know, torn to shreds by the wind. I mean, this place is an awful I mean, hellhole. It's a place to waste away, and really, I mean... On top of having the lack of sunshine, yeah, which, you know, sunshine really does help with people with their mood, um, you know, not only slowing down, but also think of the amount of stress that he was under for so long. Sure. He had 2,000 soldiers guarding him. Yeah. And two ships circling the island 24-7. On a 60 square mile yes. patch of land. Yes. I mean, it's like when they had Magneto in that all plastic chamber, you know? <laughs> it, it, I was going to say that, or like like Alcatraz. Yeah. Um, And the constant humidity just made it miserable. Mm-hmm. And he lived in a simple wooden bungalow, you know, with a stove heater, and that was it. Not much else. So it's not, it's not, um, not surprising to me that somebody like that would become so broken and so depressed mm-hmm. and so fragile. Uh, and so um, infirm in his last few yeah, months. And just waste away. And he did. Mm-hmm. And he kept repeating, like you said, yeah, he kept repeating France, army, Josephine. Those were his last words that were said in repeat. His three obsessions. Yeah. France, army, Josephine. And I think that's a good place to end it. Yeah. Well, his death. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wanted to tell the story about how he came back as a ghost and him and Casper were actually <laughs> hanging around for a while. Right. Right. Well, and it is very interesting, um, you know, to to kind of understand also the our perspective of Napoleon versus also a French perspective of Napoleon, because there was still a long lasting impression of him as actually being a pretty great ruler. Um, well, you know, he did a lot for he did a lot the people for of France. the people. So it was, it, you know, kind of despite his shortcomings, um, <laughs> that you know, the people of France and the culture of France, yeah. you know, held him in high regard for a very long time. There is no such thing as a benevolent dictator. Yeah, there just isn't. But if there was anyone who came close to it, it could have been Napoleon. Still a dick, though. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so with that, should we get into some listener feedback? I think we shall. This week in listener feedback. So first of all, let's work a little backwards here. First is from Clayton about yams. Mm. Going back to our Kwanzaa episode. Oh, I thought we were going to the Nepal episode. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. A yam between two boulders, right. <laughs> uh, Which I've actually heard. Is like everybody's favorite episode title. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a great episode, too. It was, it was a, a, good good job, job, a great episode. Good job. You guys did a wonderful job with it. Uh, he writes, you cannot go into anaphylactic shock from yams. That's what Damn. we figured. This would be a moot topic since if the king was allergic to yams, he would be fed yams as a baby. That's what it says in the email. Mm-hmm. Uh, yams are such a staple food in the Nigerian region. Once 
or a little after a baby is born or stopped breastfeeding, the baby would be the king, of course, he would be fed yams or a form of yams. This scenario is not definite, of course. Uh, it would probably be as if it was uh, definitely not the scenario or the said king would be very probable. Once the allergic king ate the said as a young prince, uh, which he would be at the time, he would die. Therefore, uh, there would be no issue with the with someone else would become king simple as that <laughs> and I then mean, he would die i mean there was some like pretty strong logic to the cm issue of of the possibility of a king dying from yam poisoning or yam allergy i don't know this guy seems to be yammering on a lot oh. <laughs> but it does go to say that yes starches and vegetable starches like yams do not create anaphylaxis in uh, any mammal i think <laughs> that we know of Unless so, there's a honeybee in there yeah. somewhere, you bite down on Still, it. Still, very Possible. good to know. Thank you very much for writing in. Yes. Um, the other one was for that same episode with the Chris Mahana Kwanzaa from Caitlin. Uh, she wanted to say she was fairly new to the show, but she'd love to share her exposure to Chris Mahana Kwanzaa because it was originally from the Disney Channel commercials oh. for all the December show specials. Um, however, the one that we were referring to, the cell mm-hmm. phone, it was from Virgin Mobile is what it was. So... Thank you also for writing in. Yes, thank you so much. We've got one from Autumn. we got one from Autumn. Autumn writes a super duper awesome one, actually. Uh, I will not read it verbatim. Forgive me, Autumn. It's just it is uh, a little bit on the longer side. But it is uh, fantastic. She she says that she enjoys listening to the podcast. Uh, never really was a fan of podcasts previously, uh, but had a really long and kind of tedious involved project at work uh, where she wanted to have a little bit of a distraction she was going over 250,000 documents in preparation for a trial wow yeah uh that's definitely tedious uh and she needed some background noise uh so she thought she'd try podcasts but uh the problem was that we were too distracting because she enjoyed them too much uh so she ended up having to turn them off but now she's turning them back on and she really likes them well i'm um, so glad that she's enjoying that yeah she <laughs> i love this i love this she says um this great quest was uh, just consulting the Oracle, a.k.a. Google, and I love that she uses that. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to say. <laughs> um, she also uh, thoroughly enjoyed Eric versus the Mummy, which is also, strangely enough, one of my favorite episodes. I think episodes. she likes you, Eric. I think she might. Uh, she says, in fact, and I read this verbatim because my ego is becoming uh, Napoleon-esque uh, right now, uh, I think I could listen to Eric talk about Egypt uh, as his own weekly podcast because when you are truly passionate about something, it is infectious. That is one of the nicest things a listener has ever written. Yes. Uh, Eric me, is infected and contagious. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that we, that's what I took from that. Uh, the truth she, is nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she does uh, finish by saying that she would uh, enjoy seeing an episode on the children's blizzard. That is the blizzard that struck on the first uh, or the 13th of January, 1888. Uh, she thinks it's a very interesting part of U.S. history and would like to see what y'all thought of the topic. Interesting. Uh, once again, thank you for your amazing podcast. Regards, Autumn. Autumn, thank you so much. Uh, I think the blizzard of 1888 and the... Uh, there was a few other great storms around that time as well would be really interesting to talk about. Mm-hmm. Or just extraordinary weather in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it does suck uh, that so many of those children ended up getting stranded because it happened essentially like out of the blue mm-hmm. on a seemingly not so cold day. And then this blizzard just comes right in and traps all these children uh, particularly children age or school age children who were at school and forced to be kept at school. They could not go home. Yeah. Um, which is like a a hallmark movie 
in the <laughs> making. It's going to happen. Lifetime maybe might pick that up. Um, yeah. I think it would be an interesting topic to discuss in detail. Great. Uh, thank you also for writing in. And uh, the last one we're going to read tonight um, is from Johan. Yo! Han. Johan. Um, says, hello, Eric, Brian, and Sarah. I've been listening to Nerds on History for a while now. History and I never got along during my school years, and I honestly do not know why I started listening to Nerds on History, but I'm so glad I did. You guys are awesome, so thank you. I'm glad that we're making history lovers out there. Yeah. Um, he says, I live in Oregon, but I'm currently in Central California for a time and would love to go along on the nerd meetup that you mentioned in the last podcast. Uh, that was a couple podcasts ago. Let me know if slash when it will be happening and I'll be there. We got to do this, guys. I mean, it's not we don't have it scheduled currently. Um, but when we do, we'll let you guys know. OK, California listeners who are in the area, if you want this, uh, keep sending us email. Keep yeah. sending us uh, listener feedback. Uh, because I, I will totally do it for Johan. Like, yeah. I, I absolutely will. If uh, enough people yeah. want us. I think right now we have two people who I think so, have yeah. jumped on board. If we can get as many as five, yeah, I say so, we do it. Yeah. So if five people chime in and say that they want a guided tour of the Rosicrucian Museum in San Jose, California with the good Sir Eric Brickmont. Uh, with leading, the Nerdonomy crew. With the Nerdonomy crew. Uh, we will make an appearance. We'll sign autographs, <laughs> do photo ops. We'll have a beer with you, too. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. not? Yep. And uh, so if you want to do that, uh, please let us know. Write in. Yes. And if you want to write in, you can do so by going to nerdonomy.com and clicking that talk to us button and shooting us an email like all those lovely people. Or you can take up the lost art of calligraphy yes. and write us a letter. Yes, we do have a P.O. box if you want to send us a letter. That's totally acceptable as well. Or you can leave us a voicemail. We have our number available on the website. What? It's crazy. You can also send us winter gear. So Mm -hmm. when we invade Russia this summer, uh, we'll be fine. We'll be set. Um, you can also hit us up on social media. You can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to search for Nerdonomy. You'll find us, I promise you. But the most important thing that you can do is, uh, give us a review on iTunes or tell your friends about us and spread the word of nerd. Spread it. We demand it. Oh, oh, oh. Oh my God. How have we not thanked her for this? We're, we're horrible. We are horrible. We're almost as bad as Napoleon. You know what? Let's, let's just say this. Our butts are rather comfy tonight. My lower back has not felt this good in 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 hours. And why um, is that, Eric? <laughs> it's because I'm sitting uh, and leaning on two wonderful pillows uh, by the great Aunt Teresa, the legendary Aunt Teresa. She made four nerd-themed throw pillows Reversible, for all of us. with yeah. double, double-sided. Yeah, there's a Spider-Man Wonder Woman... Uh, the one I'm sitting on has Star Trek on one side, Star Wars on the other, so it's the Nerd Switzerland pillow. We got a we got a Batman and Avengers. Mm-hmm. And what's under your butt, Brian? Uh, a little Superman and a little bit of Captain America, Iron Man action. Cool comic books. Iron yeah, Man. Covers. Iron Man. A little and bit of Hulk too. It's it's kind of just like the, the all stars of the Marvel universe. Their side has like a bunch of kabams and. Uh, but Superman. It's Superman. Doing all those things. Yeah. Well, it's got a whole bunch of like kabams and whaps. Yeah, it's Superman going kabam and mm-hmm. all Pow that and stuff. Breaking chains. Blammo and Flyven. Flyven! So, yeah, thank you. Yes, indeed. And, uh, you know, nerds, it is that time. So, until we meet again, stay nerdy. Tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Goodbye. Later.
believe he was going to serve his cat. Wait, guys. Where's Mittens? <laughs> oh. Mittens! Oh my god! Well, I suppose we should, uh, say something now that we've buried what's left of dear Mittens. Dur, dur, dur.